Well, it's good to see you all tonight, and uh, we just want to uh, spend a couple moments, about 20 minutes, in God's Word. And, and we read that scripture out of Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 18 to 23. And I want to talk a little bit about what that said at the end of that, that, that verse. It says, um, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I just want to spend a little time on that phrase. But as we remember, um, you know, this, this Christmas is all about Christ, but uh, you don't go through the holidays usually without watching some good movies. And one of the Christmas classics that people watch a lot is the, the, the movie Home Alone. And you know all the stories about it, right? Kevin gets left at home. His family's in Paris, I think, on vacation. And it was really his desire to be alone. Uh, and he's got to protect his fortress, his home from all these people. But we know the reality, really, of that um, that movie. Really, the actor, in his selfishness, in his, you might say, ignorance, uh, wished to be alone. That's what he wanted. And the irony of the plot of the whole the whole Home Alone movie is that the true Christmas story couldn't be further from that it's the polar opposite if you think about it because the true christmas story is a story that you are not alone that god has come down he has not abandoned us he's not some distant person angry up in heaven the the true story of christmas is that he has come and he's come to be with you be with me. And so when we read those verses, I want us to focus on that, that phrase because that quote at the end there, Matthew, it comes from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. And I don't know if you, you know this, but the prophet Isaiah basically in that book, you can read it in the Old Testament, um, it was penned some 700 years before this took place. Can you imagine that? Saying this is going to happen, and it actually happened. 700 years before these words were actually, they were written, they were forecast. God is going to do this, and he's going to do it, and he's going to fulfill this prophecy. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's 224 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, about the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Hundreds of years in advance, God promised us in his word with 224 specific, these aren't general prophecies. These are very specific prophecies that they would take place in the life of the Messiah when he came. And that's how they would know it was who he spoke of. And you know what? Jesus fulfills every one. Everyone. The Messiah was going to be born of a woman, and Jesus was. The Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem, and Jesus was. He was the Messiah was to be of the family of the lineage of Abraham and the lineage of David, and guess what? Jesus was. The Messiah would be born of a virgin, and Jesus was. The Messiah would spend time in Egypt 
And guess what? Jesus did. The Messiah, it says, would be rejected by his own people. And Jesus was. It even tells us the Messiah would be betrayed for exactly 30 pieces of silver. Hundreds of years before it ever happened. This was forecast. This was prophesied. And guess what? Jesus was. The Messiah would be spat upon, it says, and struck and beaten. And Jesus was. It even tells us the Messiah's hands and his feet would be pierced. And Jesus' feet and hands were. It tells us that the Messiah would be crucified with criminals, and Jesus was. That he would conquer death, that he would rise from the dead. And guess what? Jesus did. He rose victorious over sin and death. That's just a couple of 224 of these Old Testament prophecies, and they were all fulfilled by the life, the death, and the resurrection of this man we call Jesus Christ. Every single prophecy of God was a promise from God to us. And every promise of God perfectly forms the plan of God to save his people from their sin. We sing, or we hear it sung, a weary world rejoices. I don't know if you've looked around lately, but there's a lot of weary people in this world today with all the stuff going on. You can, you can just sense it. But you know what? As believers, we can rejoice. Why? Because God is with us, Emmanuel. That's what the Bible says. And that word literally means it's translated right there for us in the text. Emmanuel, what does it mean? God with us. It's the story of Christmas. It's the story that we're not alone, that we haven't been abandoned. And we, we know that we've made Christmas a lot more than that. We've made it into a time of year where everybody's just supposed to be happy. And everything's supposed to fit exactly in its place. And everything's supposed to work out. A lot of times we put all the skeletons in our family in the closet for a couple days and just all try to get along. We know what that's like. But Christmas is so much more than that. Christmas is the story of Emmanuel. God with us. It's the greatest story that's ever been told because it's true. So look at that first word, God. It, it represents Jesus' divinity. It states it right there, that this man named Jesus is God. Emmanuel, God with us. It's a forward claim that Jesus himself is divine and that Jesus is God. See, God did not send Jesus in the form of a of a little baby just as a mere sign to show us that he could do it, to show off his power, to say, hey, look at this miracle. Look at what I pulled off. No, he didn't do it that. But God sent himself. He sent Jesus as God. That's far more than just a majestic display of his power. This is the living God in human flesh, the God incarnate, we call it the incarnation. It sounds like a big word, but it's really not. It's pretty simple. The other day we were out and we had 
we went to a Mexican restaurant and we had, uh, some people had tacos and they had carne asada tacos, right? And, and what the asada means, grilled, roasted, I think. And, and, and carne means what? Flesh. It means meat. The incarnation is God with meat on, with flesh on. He took on human flesh. It means that God came in the form of that little baby. He put on flesh, meat on his bones that first Christmas. That God came to be with us. And that first word, God, states very clearly that Jesus claimed to be divine. In his own life, in his own teaching. And even at the foretelling of his coming, the angels told us that this Messiah was God. This isn't something that was hidden. This isn't something that was unknown. It wasn't some mystery. They knew. It's plain throughout Scripture that the baby Jesus was God himself, God in human flesh. Think about this. He entered into time and space. He entered into something that he had created. (laughs) And he walked among his people. And Jesus came in human flesh, and he didn't lose his divinity. He was completely human, but he was completely divine. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, in the, he, he was in the beginning with God, and then in verse 14 it says, And the Word became what? Flesh, and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only... Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, I was thinking back, if you recall, back in 1969, what happened? Went to the moon, right? Some of you may remember exactly what you were doing when you watched that footage unfold. Um, But think about this. You know, human beings went to the moon. A moon that God created. And yet... We have a a picture here. The God who created the moon came down to earth and he put on human flesh and he walked on the earth. Rather interesting. The story of Emmanuel, God who came to be with us. See, Christmas is so much more than a time just to pretend to be happy and everything's supposed to work out. It's a story that goes so much deeper. It's a story that says, you know what, you're not alone. That God came to spend time with us, to be with his people. There's hope, there's freedom, there's forgiveness, there's love, there's joy in that story. But secondly, he says, not only does he proclaim Jesus' divinity there with the word God, but he says God with, with. It talks about Jesus' proximity, that he was actually here. 118 times throughout the scriptures, we're reminded that God is with us. That's a lot. 118 times? It isn't something that you have to search for. It isn't something that you, you know, some obscure text somewhere and you build a whole theology over. No, it says it over and over again. 118 times throughout scripture, we're reminded that God is with us and that he's here. He's near us. He has proximity to his people, and he dwells with us. And it's throughout the scriptures. In Genesis, it says here, he says, I'm with you. In Joshua, he says, don't be frightened, for the Lord your God is with you. 
In the, in the book of the prophet Isaiah, he says, do not be dismayed, for I am with you. Here's something that's absolutely amazing. This, this book, the gospel, it starts off at the very beginning telling us that, you know what? God is with you. Emmanuel, God with us. But if you go all the way to the back, chapter 28, it's like two bookends for the Gospel of Matthew. He starts off telling us that God is with us, but you know what? At the very end, he gives us the Great Commission. And what does he say? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And then he says this, and surely, what? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Gospel of Matthew has two bookends telling us that God hasn't abandoned us. He's here with us. He steps into humanity. He comes down to earth to be with his people. And it ends, the gospel ends with him ascending back to the Father saying, you know what, I'm going to be with you forever. Just because I'm leaving you physically doesn't mean I'm not there. I'm here to stay. I'm going to dwell with you. And I'll be with you to the end of the age. With talks about the proximity of Jesus to his people. God is not distant. We serve a gracious God. We serve a God who came and he crawled his way out of heaven into a little manger to be with you, to be with me, to act in human history, to do for you and for me what we could not do on our own. Because our God is love, the scripture says, we're never alone. Loneliness can be devastating this time of year for many people. I honestly believe, even in my own family, when my sister thought of going through Thanksgiving and thought of going through Christmas, it was too much. She didn't want to be alone. She just lost her husband in March. Difficult. Maybe some of you have lost your loved ones. Maybe it's a lonely time of the year for you. Maybe your kids can't come home for the holidays. You know, it's, it's, it's hard. Loneliness is a hard thing for many people to deal with. But you know what? You have to understand that the scripture says you haven't been abandoned. You may be alone physically, but you're not alone spiritually. So in those moments when you feel alone, when you feel that, that dark cloud of loneliness creep into your heart, transcend what you feel and consider your current circumstance and remember what you know to be true. That the scripture says that no matter how you feel, what you know to be true is that your God came to dwell here among his people. And he promised us not to leave until the end of the age. Christmas isn't just about giving gifts to others and receiving gifts. It's about that gift that God gave to us in the form of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christmas isn't just about spending time with loved ones. That's a wonderful thing to do. But it's about a God who loves you so much that he came to be with you.
The story of Christmas is that God didn't just write a story for us to read once a year, but he came. He came in flesh, and he dwelt among us so that we could actually experience and know him in a personal way. So God talks about his divinity with, talks about his proximity. And the last word, God with us, talks about his humility. Jesus is humility. Do you understand that God didn't just come to earth? He came for us. He came with a purpose. We don't deserve that. None of us do. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, he came for his people. He didn't say, oh, you've got to clean yourselves up first. These are, we are people who defiled the only rule that he gave in the garden. We're people who, who, who habitually have hidden from their creator, from his presence, in their sin and in their shame. No one in this room is above that. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And the idea that God came for us, that should be an incredible thought, an incredible blessing. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, But what did he do? He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, it says. Notice it says he did not count or he didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to for his own advantage. He didn't do that. He set it aside. That word equality, it has in the original Isis. And when you think of a a triangle, isosceles triangle, what's an isosceles triangle? Isosceles triangle is a triangle with what? Two equal sides, right? And what this verse is saying is that they were both equal. He's 100% God, but he's also 100% human. And when he came to earth, he didn't consider that, oh, okay, I'm not, I'm not human anymore, or now I'm not God anymore. No, he was 100% both. And he came right here and dwelt among us in proximity to his people. He came for you. He came for me. Because we needed somebody to pay a debt that we could never pay, the debt of our sin. In Hebrews 10.10, it says this, And by that will... We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, it says. Aren't you glad that we don't have to have an altar here where we lift a host up and sacrifice it over and over and over again every month when we, when we practice communion? I grew up in a church like that, frankly. You had a priest and you had a thing where they sacrificed the Lord over and over and over. This is a platform. It's not an altar. There's no use for an altar anymore. Because Jesus came and he died once for all. God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ for all time. 
See, the reason we can rejoice as a weary world is because God is with us. He tangibly came down here, put meat on his bones so that you and I could find the true meaning of life, that we could be reunited, we can be reconciled with the God who created us. So there's a sense of humility here, but you know what? I was thinking about this. It also creates kind of an exclusive category. Because it says you will call on you will call him Jesus because he will die for the sins of his people. See, Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient to cover all sin. But it's only applied to, it's only effective for those who put their faith, their trust in Christ, in Christ alone. For those who turn from their sin to the Savior. Recognize what he did for you on Calvary. He did to pay for your sin. So when you think of the Christmas story, the question is, you have to ask yourself this. I mean, God came for us. That's true. But what's your response to that? What's your response to that? It's not good enough just to know that, oh yeah, Jesus was born of a virgin. You know the whole Christmas story, and that's great. That's what we talked about Sunday, head knowledge, right? But how do you apply that? What does that mean? How do you respond to that? I could say, hey, I have a wonderful gift for you. Meet me in the lobby after church. I could have the gift. It could be an incredible gift. But you know what? If you don't show up to get the gift, guess what? You're not going to get it. That's why we're called to obey the gospel. It demands a response. We have to turn to him in faith and repentance. Repentance basically simply means, you know what, you're, you're changing your mind about how you're dealing with life. You're not going to try to continue to work your way out of this pit of sin through religious works or through helping people, whatever it might be. None of those things are bad things. But if they're replacing what Christ did on the cross for you, it's, it could end in tragedy. There's going to be a lot of people who stand before the Lord one day, the Bible says, and say, Lord, Lord, haven't we done this? Haven't we done that? Haven't we healed people? Haven't we? And he's going to say, I never knew you. Never knew you. I don't know about you, but I don't want to hear those words. So you can respond even now in the quietness of this moment to the greatest gift that was ever given to anyone. Because God loves you. And he cares for you. Emmanuel, God with us. You can turn to him in faith and repentance right now. And trust him. For your eternal soul and its salvation. As we prepare our hearts for our communion time tonight. This table is something that is very special for us who believe in Christ. For us who have committed to following Christ. It provides us symbols, a picture of what it means to remember his death. We have a little cracker and we have a little cup of grape juice and they each are symbolic of the body and the blood of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. 
And the Bible is very specific here. It kind of warns us in, in Corinthians. And he says, you know what? If, if, you don't, if you don't understand your relationship with God and you don't understand Christ and you don't understand what this is about, it's probably best you don't take it. Because it's for believers. It's for those who put their faith or trust in Christ. And we're not the spiritual police in this church. You can do whatever in your own heart you feel led to do. But I think it's important that I explain that this is not a means of salvation. By taking this cup and taking this bread, it's not like you're earning your salvation by taking communion. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that was accomplished for us by Christ on the cross. And the last time I checked, when it was over, what did he say? It is what? It's finished. There's no more sacrifice. But this remembers his sacrifice. This looks back to his sacrifice. So I would encourage you as we have our time of communion, you don't have to be a member of this church to partake. We don't. But you have to be, we believe you should be a member of his church. You should be a Christian. You should know that you're saved in order to come up and, and partake. And so we're going to have a time of, of communion after I pray. And uh, we're going to prepare our hearts with um, a song and then we'll, 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 t- we'll uh, take communion together. And as we're uh, going through the song, you can just come up and at your leisure, take your element, take a cracker and, a, and, and the juice back to your seat. And we would really encourage you to do this on your own or with your family. If you came together as a family, you could pray together right there and just partake together. And we'll allow sufficient time for that to happen. And then after a couple minutes, when everybody's completed... We will uh, get our candles and, and uh, close off our service. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you are truly Emmanuel, God, with us. And Lord, if it wasn't for you coming down here as God in close proximity to us, there's no way that you could have ever died for our sins. There's no way you could have ever risen from the dead. You had to take on a human body to do that because God cannot die. And so, Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice. And, Lord, these elements basically acknowledge that we are remembering that sacrifice. And this table is open to all who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so, Lord, we pray that, as the Scripture says, that we should examine our own hearts during this time. This is a time of self-examination. We don't examine our neighbor's heart. We examine our own heart. And we ask if there's anything in there that shouldn't be there, (laughs) that we can confess it as believers, and that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise from you to us. And so, Lord, we pray that this time would be a special time, that it would be a personal time. And, Father, we ask that you would bless this communion to our our hearts and our lives. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.